Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, helping you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. It's all right here for you with this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. Remember to visit us online, too, at besteveryou.com. And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You Show. We have two shows this week. It's uh, I don't normally do shows in the summer, but we're having some fun. Um, so we have Alana Gallant with us uh, today. She's the founder and CEO of Food Allergy Fund. And then on Thursday, back by popular demand, will be Coach Chris Solano. He's the head baseball coach for the New Haven Chargers there in New Haven, Connecticut. And so we'll we'll have some fun with him, of course. And um, Oh, Alana, we got to talk about allergies, don't we? <laughs> this is kind of like a, yeah. a CEO, founder, kindness, food allergy, power hour going on here. But um, boy, are you doing some amazing things to help all of us with food allergies. I'm so grateful to have you on the show, and I'm so grateful to be your company and have come across you and, and know who you are because, wow, um, for those of you listening, you can go to foodallergyfund.org for more information if you want to kind of scroll around as we're talking. But Alana, welcome to Best Ever You. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's uh, so t- let's just start off with um, d- who has food allergies and why are you doing what you're doing? My daughter. It all started with my daughter. <laughs> I have a four-year-old with multiple life-threatening food allergies, and she had her first anaphylactic reaction at 13 months, which really set me on this journey. Um, I'm a lawyer by training. I spent the past decade working in media and PR and did not expect to be running a nonprofit dedicated to funding research, but this is my passion. Uh, It's for my daughter and for the millions of children and adults alike living with food allergies. It's now uh, truly an epidemic and the fastest growing childhood disease in America. Did you have any interest in food allergies prior to that? Did Did you know what food allergies were? I didn't, to be honest, when my daughter was having her reaction, it was a Sunday afternoon, um, and my husband and I sat there and looked at each other. I said, I think she's having an allergic reaction. He said, that's not possible. She's had this food many times before, which is true. She had had it without any problem until that one fine Sunday afternoon. And embarrassingly, we sat there Googling symptoms of an allergic reaction and just goes to show how much you know, more awareness and education is needed to even recognize the symptoms of what is a life-threatening reaction. Yeah. And what is, so I just will make it all comfy here. I'm, I'm a person who has life-threatening food allergies as well. If you're just listening to this show, um, my name is Elizabeth Hamilton Garino and I am the co-founder of Food Allergy Zone and a spokesperson for FACT and a spokesperson for Medical Alert Foundation. Um, and I have lived, um, I've tried to, to thrive with food allergies. I've definitely had some moments where I've had to survive um, I've lived with them for over 25 years now, and um, I have life-threatening food allergies to peanuts, tree nuts, fish, and shellfish, with uh, almond and walnut being the most 
scary, uh, terrifying, actually. Um, do you, do you, and so I'm an adult with food allergies. I did not grow up with food allergies or anything like that. And um, I'm a mom of four boys, um, sons, they're 18 to 24, not boys anymore, little boys there, uh, but they do not have food allergies. One has a little bit of a milk intolerance, but not a, a not a true food allergic reaction. Um, do you, does food allergy fund help adults and kids? Is it specific to one or the other? Um, and what are, what is food allergy fund? Sorry. Yeah. So we're really focused on two things. First is funding research into what is the underlying cause of food allergy for kids and adults alike. We really don't have a fundamental understanding of what is happening to cause this huge increase for children and adults uh, over the past 20 to 25 years, and the numbers just continue to skyrocket. So we're really focused on let's figure out the underlying cause, and then we can get to improve treatments and therapeutics. And the second is raising the profile of the disease itself and ensuring that we're talking about it at the level that it deserves. It's now impacting one in 10 adults and one in 12 kids in the U.S. and roughly 300 million people globally. And my guess is the number is actually even higher than that. Um, It's just, it's really skyrocketing and we need to get to the bottom of what is causing this. Do you, of course, I'm going to ask you, do you have any insight into what is causing it? <laughs> sure, it would be nice to not have these food allergies anymore. I'm kind of counting on you here. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, well, that's our goal is to, you know, fund research, the most innovative cross-disciplinary research that we can surface to really figure it out. And I think there are multiple factors at work that have been building over time. Um, and so we really don't yet know what is the primary or even the two or three main causes of this, uh, but we're we're very focused on it um, and making sure that we're looking for answers around the world. And what's really interesting is we, you know, we're a relatively new organization launched in the next, in the last two years, and we have funded two research projects thus far, and we're in the middle of a funding cycle right now, and. When we started, you know, the proposals were largely coming in from the U.S., and now we have more proposals coming in from abroad uh, than we do in the U.S., which is a really interesting dynamic, and we're really excited to see, you know, what research there is on the horizon. Yeah. Um, This is a very leading question. Um, You have a B.A. from Columbia, and uh, you're a lawyer. an attorney from the New York University School of Law. Wow. Um, Are you going to go back and be a doctor now as well? Hint, hint. (laughs) (laughs) No. Not that that's not a lot more schooling or anything. (laughs) In Um, the early days when my daughter was diagnosed, I did did give it some thought. Um, But it really started (laughs) for me with, what can I do, right? My professional skill set, lawyering isn't going to get me very far in terms of solving this. And but, you know, as I mentioned, I spent the past decade working in strategic PR. So for me, it's really how do we elevate the conversation around food allergies? How do we talk yeah. to people not only within the community but outside the community to make sure that we're getting the proper attention that it deserves from, you know, the government, from the media, from celebrities, you know, from all aspects of our society to really elevate the profile. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've kind of had that approach myself, like anything I can do to help 
get the awareness raised, you know, raise awareness in any way I can, I can, um, whether it's through sharing my story with, uh, you know, as being an adult with food allergies or writing a book, you know, we just, I just wrote that book with Sally Huss, a lesson for every child learning about food allergies. Um, and anything I can ever do to, to assist, um, I, I, I try as well. So I know that feeling of like, it's, uh, it, it, it's kind of um, you never know what direction you're going to go in next sometimes with the connections that you make. Do you have very specific goals around that or are you still trying to, to, you know, connect and maneuver around the food allergy community and more? That makes, I hope that made, I hope that was articulate. (laughs) Yes. So in terms of raising awareness, it, for me, it's really important, and this is kind of my professional bias coming in, is that we talk to everyone outside the community as much as we do within the community. And food allergies are now one degree of separation, just like cancer is, but we don't speak of it in those terms. We don't have the same level of support, federal funding, um, awareness. You know, I, I shared how I didn't even recognize the symptoms of an allergic reaction. Um, I now know more than I ever thought I would know about food allergies. Uh, So we're really focused on how do you raise awareness through new platforms and new ways. So, for example, we we rang the opening bell at the New York Stock Exchange last year as part of Food Allergy Awareness Month. It's the most watched minute in broadcast television, uh, but really was meant to be, let's use a platform that had never been used for this cause before. Um, So that was you know, quite impactful. Uh, we run thought leadership summits twice a year. We did one just a few weeks ago. We you know, did it virtually um, this time, given COVID. Uh, but it really brings together all stakeholders in, in the ecosystem, the leading doctors and scientists from around the world, the top entrepreneurs coming up with new products and new technologies to help people living with food allergies you know, live a, a, a better uh, life. Um, Celebrity chef, we had a really fun celebrity chef cook-off where we challenged five chefs to prepare dishes that were free of the top eight allergens. And I think it really inspired people that this is, you know, this is manageable. Um, you can have a, a, a very full life with food allergies, but of course you have to be incredibly careful. Um, and it you know, takes all of us to be aware and, and support food allergic patients. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's really interesting um, to maneuver the past 20 some odd years of my life with food allergies. And I just speak from personal experience from, from anything from a board meeting to uh, a board dinner, to a business flight, to a business hotel, to a business dinner, to, I mean, on and on and on. It's uh, <clears throat> aside from just the food allergy itself and navigating what you're going to actually eat and so forth, there's a complete social component to it as well um, that can be very uncomfortable when you're sitting at a table of 20 executives and you're the one with food allergies and need a special dinner and so forth. Um, do you address any of that in your summits and so forth? I, I you, you just did in a way with the chefs preparing food, that was pretty exciting because that's one of the things that one of the ways I've navigated food allergies is through, you know, learning how to cook a variety of different things, probably not chef level, but I thought that was really fun what you did. Um, but yeah. you do I mean, a lot of psychos- the- yeah, we do. I mean, we look on. at the psychosocial impact of, of food allergies, you know, bullying is a, is a really huh. 
significant issue for, for children with food allergies. My daughter was bullied at two and a half um, because mm-hmm. of her food allergies, and it was eye-opening to me. I mean, I knew that it existed, but I thought I had some time until she was you know, in elementary school or middle school. I did not expect it to happen as a toddler. Happens as an adult, too. Unfortunately, it did. Heads up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't Um, stop. There there is certainly a stigma associated with it. And, you know, I think it's really important that we talk about it um, and and address it. because And our summits, you know, have certainly focused on the psychosocial aspect for adults and children um, because it is absolutely critical. It affects adults, you know, uh, the Millennials who are entering the workforce right now um, disproportionately have food allergies. So I think it's really going to lead, I hope, to a shift in workplace dynamics as well, where the workplace, not only you know, the whining and dining aspect of the professional workplace, but even you know, ordering pizza uh, into a conference room um, yep. can isolate many people. Uh, so it's, it's really top of mind and I think we'll see significant change in the next few years. Yeah, it would be it would be lovely. I I, I can remember having um, being you know um, on maternity leave and worrying about just you know that fact of having of the job that I had and so forth. You know, I, I was now two having I had two children and a maternity leave. And sometimes when you take maternity leaves, you never know whether you're going back or are going to be able to go back back then. And um, then having this life-threatening condition on top of it. And I just remember for the longest time, you know, again, back me up 25 years or so, hiding it from my, I thought I would be fired um, for having this condition. And it's, it's been so refreshing to see um, the conversation change and the actions change and so forth from colleges to workplaces to airlines and so forth. And I think there's still a lot of work to do, but at least people know what a, to mo- largely anyway, know what a food allergy even is and that it is truly life-threatening. Um, have you, have you found that people think it's a joke? I, I've encountered through my life of having food allergies that people think it's not real. It's made up. It's, yeah, I, I think people think it's a joke or it's a lifestyle choice. Um, yeah. No one would choose life-threatening food allergies, right? The idea yeah. of being a bite away from anaphylaxis uh, at any meal or any snack is it's incredibly difficult. So, yes, I mean, I definitely hear that all the time. We're all here, oh, well, I have mild food allergies. No one knows whether an allergy is mild or severe um, and what one reaction will look like versus the next so uh, there's it's definitely a a messaging problem that the disease has yeah i i would agree with you and um it's yeah the the lifestyle change it it sort of food allergies in some aspects have gotten kind of watered down in in that they're not a lifestyle change i don't it's not gluten-free lifestyle or anything like that. I think there's a really big difference between choosing, for example, to be gluten-free and having a life-threatening, a life-threatening allergy to almonds or walnuts or peanuts or tree nuts or milk or egg or whatever, soy, um, fish, shellfish, wheat, whatever it is. Um, and, and, you know, for example, like I'll go into a restaurant and say, well, you know, I have life-threatening food allergies, this, that, and other thing. They'll be like, well, the pizza crust is gluten-free. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Wait a minute. So there's this whole like education conversation 
to to help you be safe in just eating and socially and and so forth. Um, but I applaud you for for all of your efforts. It's so much fun to go onto your website, which again is foodallergyfund.org. And I was hoping you would walk listeners a little bit through your website, especially the color choice. I think that's a powerful color choice. Yes, uh, I spent a lot. I'm obviously not a graphic designer, but I. When I was launching the organization, I thought, what should our logo be? How can it be as recognizable as, you know, the pink breast cancer um, bow or the Nike swoosh, something that would represent life and hope and sustenance, which food is, um, in the shape of a spoon. So that, that was the genesis of the logo, and really the color scheme is, is connected to that. Uh, in terms of our website, I mean, I think one of the marquee features is, as I mentioned, we host these summits twice a year um, in cities across the country and, and now virtually, and we make all the summit content available on our website following each event. It's really important to me that the content be widely accessible. It's interesting. I, when I, my daughter was first diagnosed, I was living in New York. I moved to Washington, D.C. Um, and recently moved back to New York, but the drop-off in awareness and resources going from New York to DC was remarkable to me. And I launched FAST when I was living in DC in part because of that reason. I realized if there's such a significant drop off, you know, we really need to treat this as a national and global problem. And this is not a New York problem or a Silicon Valley problem. This is a national problem and our content needs to reach everyone who is impacted by food allergies. So our summits, you know, all of the content is available on our website. You'll see an overview of our mission, our approach, our scientific advisory board is truly unparalleled. You'll see the bios of all the uh, incredible doctors and scientists who are involved in our mission. One of the things that was especially critical to me as I was launching the organization is how do we make sure every discipline that needs to be at the table has a seat at the table so that we're not approaching this from one perspective. We've been talking about the stigma and psychological impact. We have the only NIH-funded psychologist in the country looking at the psychosocial impact of food allergy on our board. So we're bringing that lens even as we're looking at the microbiome um, or immunobiology, chemical engineering, the clinical aspect. So it's really bringing together the top doctors and scientists from leading institutions, Yale, MIT, Stanford, Columbia, um, Penn, among others, so that not only do we have a mechanism to communicate with the top research institutions to, to surface that thinking, but we also have all of the disciplines talking about it holistically. Perfect. Food allergies have increased in children 50% between 1997 and 2011. Where do, what has happened between 2011 and 2020? Can't even imagine what that number must be. Do you know? So we, we don't know. Uh, there hasn't been a recent census, um, but my huh. hypothesis is that it's probably doubled or come close to that in, in the past decade alone. Um, we know that the most recent estimate revised it up to one in 12 children. Um, I think if we look at it in another two years, it could be a one in 10, um, which is what it is for adults now. It's one in 10. One in 10, yeah. But the numbers continue to skyrocket. Yeah. 
Um, would you, are, do you have your website up in front of you by any chance or on your phone in front of you? I, I do. Okay. Would you mind going through, um, just so we give them proper credit, the people who are on your scientific advisory board? I thought it would be kind of neat to, to read off their names. If you don't think that's a good idea, you let me know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good with you. <laughs> sure. I, I just thought that would be pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe who they are. They're, they're such uh, distinguished leaders that they each have, you know, five or six titles. So I'll I'll abbreviate <laughs> this a bit. Um, the Dr. Martin Blazer is the chair of the Human Microbiome Project at Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. He wrote the New York Times bestseller called Missing Microbes, which has been published in 18 languages by last count uh, around the world, but really focused on what has changed in our gut bacteria that explains not only food allergy, but a variety of autoimmune conditions and how that is connected to microbes that we're all missing. Uh, Scott Boyd, uh, who leads the Lab for Human Immunology at Stanford, is really focused on kind of the intersection of immunology and biology and how they interact. Uh, Linda Herbert, as I mentioned, is the only NIH-funded psychologist. She directs the psychosocial program at Children's National in Washington, D.C. Dr. Wayne Lenster is the chief of the Division of Gastroenterology and Nutrition at Boston Children's. He also heads up the Harvard Digestive Diseases Center um, and is, you know, one of the foremost not only pediatric gastroenterologists, but digestive diseases experts in the world. Dr. Christopher Love, who I think has the best lab, the lab name, the Love Lab at MIT, <laughs> is um, a professor of chemical engineering, and he uniquely looks at cancer and food allergy side by side. There's some really interesting um, learnings from cancer that can be applied to food allergy. So, you know, he's a chemical engineer, but that is kind of his unique focus. Um, Dr. Rachel Miller, who heads up the asthma project and immunology. She recently moved over from Columbia to Mount Sinai. We need to update our website. And she is one of the foremost experts on asthma, and asthma is often uh, comorbidity with food allergies. There's a trifecta of diseases, asthma, eczema, and food allergy, and oftentimes people have one, two, or three of those conditions. so it's important to have that perspective as well. Uh, Dr. Noah Palm is at Yale. He's an immunobiologist um, focused on the root cause of, of food allergy. Uh, he kind of got involved in the space because of um, a personal story that happened to him involving a family member in, in his lab, which kind of opened his eyes to how widespread the allergies can be. Uh, you know, for example, latex and kiwi are the same allergy. They share the same yeah. protein, a food and a non-food item. Um, and so he's been really interested in looking at kind of how those protein structures can impact food and non-food items. Uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Hugh Sampson, who is the director emeritus of the Jaffe Food Allergy Institute at Mount Sinai. He's the past president of the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology is one of the founding fathers, I would say, of the field of food allergy. Um, you know, he was really one of the pioneers. Uh, Dr. Wayne Schreffler is the head of the Food Allergy Center at Mass General and chief of pediatric allergy and immunology there as well. 
Dr. Scott Sisher, who is the head of allergy and immunology at Mount Sinai um, and has written several books on you know, managing life with food allergies. Um, Dr. Marsha Wills Karp is the co-chair of the Consortium of Food Allergy Research at the NIH. It was important to me to have kind of a mechanism to be in regular contact with the NIH to understand what their priority areas are for research funding. She is also the chair of the Department of Environmental Health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. She is one of the foremost environmental health experts, and as I mentioned, asthma and environmental allergies, you know, although not correlated, often coexist with food allergies. And Dr. Gary Wu, who is truly a renaissance man, wears many hats at the University of Pennsylvania from running their molecular biology program to running their division of gastroenterology, as well as looking at digestive liver disease and uh, a nutrition center as well. I'm going to give you like the biggest award ever, <laughs> best ever here. This like gold award I have. It's it's what I've got for you. But and then in a non-pandemic environment, I, when I can, I'm going to come and meet you and give you the like the biggest hug ever, because I feel so much safer with this website and you and this group together trying to figure out how to how to end this for us all as far as having. Food allergies. I mean, there. What a what a bunch of brilliance collected to help solve the problem, or whatever you want to call it. Right? I mean, just unbelievable yeah, knowledge I mean, I've here. Been so, oh, how did you do this? So, I mean, that's so amazing. How did you collect this group? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been such an honor and privilege to work with them. Um, it was my solution for not going to medical school was to find the best <laughs> I knew, and brightest. Yeah, I, know. Um, I know she's not going to medical school, so what she's going to do? <laughs> uh, but oh, I, you know, I, I came it. up with yeah, my yeah. wish list of doctors and scientists, uh, you know, did my research and started cold calling on them and saying, here's really? my vision, here's my approach. And they all said, yes, sign me up because we so desperately we need an increase in funding. We need a changed approach to how we raise awareness and how we involve people in the dialogue who aren't personally impacted because of this one degree of separation. You know, we need it to have the same attention as cancer does, as juvenile diabetes does, autism, you know, and many other diseases that have skyrocketed in the past uh, several decades. But food allergies has lagged behind in funding significantly uh, and in awareness. Hmm. Do you, um, gosh, what, so tell me some of the goals you might have, just little insights into things I can be excited about <laughs> and chime in about and promote and things like that, because it's, this is just so wonderful to have this many people together trying to solve, to solve this, you know, a reason why would be so nice because once, you know, like I've put myself out there before and said, I have, you know, I have food allergies, blah, 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 blah. And people come at you with all these you know, you did this and you need to eat that and your gut doesn't work right or this or that, you know, there's so many people trying, they're trying to help, but it's like too many, too many, I'm sure you've had the same thing. Once you mentioned your daughter had food allergies, everybody tries to solve it. And um, do you, ha I'm going to try and say this right. Do you have any insight yet into what it, what actually causes this? Because, like in my case, I was not born with this. I developed life-threatening food allergies after a pregnancy. 
I mean, what in the world causes that? Do you have any idea? I don't. I mean, my non-expert opinion is I think there are really many different forces at work. I mean, I think anecdotally there is evidence that hormonal shifts do impact food allergies, right? Whether it's pregnancy or puberty or, you know, other moments in time and that there is some correlation there. But again, it hasn't been studied. It's more anecdotal evidence. Um, There are a variety of theories about what is causing this. I, I think it's too early to tell. I mean, you know, we have not funded enough of the research to figure out the basic cause. Um, if you look at cancer research, right, you look at how T cell receptors work, how cancer cells multiply, and then you apply those fundings to specific findings to specific organs, prostate, breast, lung, et cetera. The food allergy research paradigm has been the inverse. It's been, let's look at peanuts. Let's look at milk. I mean, two of the largest food allergens for sure. But what we've also found is that findings from one food don't translate to another. So what I'm trying to do is turn that model on its head and say, let's figure out yeah. the cause, similar to cancer, and then let's apply it to particular foods. Because if we go food by food, and there have been known reactions documented to 170 foods, and if we go food by food, and if we create treatments that are food specific, just getting through the FDA process will be at this for another 500 years. And I don't yeah. have the, the patience no. for that. This is chemistry. And, this to me is chemistry. Yeah. It's, it's got to be just almost like a, some form of chemistry because you put the food in your body and you have a chemical reaction and it's like, okay, what, what is that and why? And what, you know, like in my case, for example, I, I don't know if this is helping or not by, by sharing a little bit about me. And I'm sure if you're listening, going, okay, we've heard it before. I'm going to just say it one more time. You know, in my case, I have digestive anaphylaxis. I don't have the throat closed kind. I have the kind where you're, you like, let's say you give me a, a couple almonds and I eat them, which are good, by the way, but I can't have them. So let's say I accidentally eat some almonds, right? And um, it is an instant blood pressure drop followed by a gut clearing. And it is a life-threatening gut clearing. And it takes a whole lot of epinephrine to save my life and a lot of drip Benadryl. It is an instant 911 and an instant go to the ER. Um, do, you, do you have any insight into why some people have their throat closed and why some people have that? You know, there's different kinds of anaphylaxis. Yes, there are. And you know, that's another area that we really have to look at. And we, we just don't know the answer as of yet. And you know, 50% of allergies start in adulthood. So why is it that they're starting in adulthood? You know, for me, it's my daughter. For yeah. you, it started um, after a pregnancy. But 50% start in adulthood. And it's like a switch flip. Um, what yep. causes that switch to flip? It's not trauma. It's not you know hormonal ch- who knows? Um, but that's something that I think, you know, I started this because of my daughter and it's a, a mother's passion, but this is a problem for adults and children alike. And as the numbers skyrocket among adults, I, I hope that will drive increased attention. Um, but it's not just, mm-hmm. I think the perception is this is a kid's disease. It's not. It's one in ten no. adults and the numbers are just going higher and higher. And I really hope that, um, adults are more open about it. I mean, I applaud you for, for being open about food allergies, but one of the main ways that we can destigmatize and increase funding and attention is by having adults 
talk about it, uh, having celebrities yeah. talk about it. I mean, there's so many celebrities who have food allergies who don't talk about it. And if you look at other disease areas, you know, celebrity support makes a huge difference. And yeah, we, we don't we don't have that advantage, at least not yet. But we're working on yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it was so nice of Hay House, um, ta- you know, talking about being able to get your messages out there. I, I'm always so grateful to Hay House for having me as an author and being able to share my food allergy story in my Hay House book, Percolate, Let Your Best Self Filter Through. And and again, it's, it's anywhere where you can share those messages to raise awareness. Um, sometimes it's not about you. Like I didn't sit, I didn't sit and write, put my food allergy story in there so people would feel bad for me or, or, or anything like that. I put it in there so people could maybe relate and then grow and raise awareness from there and um, not feel alone. That's another thing that people feel sometimes is alone when you have something like this. Um, And it's kind of the opposite, actually, once you say, hey, I have food allergies, there are a lot of people with with food allergies, adults, like you're saying, who, who show up and chime in about it. And it's a more comfortable setting to do that when you have other people have, who have the same thing. Um, do you have um, any funding or expertise regarding growing out of the food allergies? Because I know mine have gotten worse, not better. Yeah, and that's true for the majority of patients. I mean, our work hasn't focused on that in particular, but statistically, the majority of people do not outgrow food allergies. Um, and food allergies, you know, with every reaction, the, the allergies get worse uh, and with every exposure, um, whether known or unknown to a food. So I mean, the chances of outgrowing it are low. And that's, you know, one of the things that I hear all the time, oh, your daughter is so young, she'll outgrow them. She won't. Uh, there's no chance that she will outgrow them, um, both because she has so many food allergies and, yeah, you know, the, the rate at which uh, she's tacked on more. Um, but I think that's also a common misperception. You know, we're talking about food allergies being a life choice that, oh, kids have them, they outgrow them. 80 to 90% of kids do not outgrow them. Do not. Um, and that number, yeah. that number continues to grow. Um, and there are some foods in particular, like sesame is a fascinating thing where it's not required to be labeled. It is the fastest growing allergy in the U.S. And, and it is also the most potent and no one knows why. I mean, it is, you know, peanuts are more potent than other foods for unknown reasons. Sesame is incredibly potent um, very unlikely to be outgrown. I don't know the exact number, but I would guess that's you know five to ten percent chance of outgrowing sesame, uh, and it's not labeled and is increasingly used as a natural Variety flavoring thing. or spice for food, and you know is is really difficult for people to navigate. Unlike the Europe and Canada, where the labeling laws are different, where it's you know the top ten, twelve, or fourteen foods. In the U.S., it's been the top eight, and it's been the top eight for a very long time. So we lag behind just in labeling um, compared to the rest of the world. Yeah. Do you feel like you get on calls like this, and you feel like you you sometimes leave with like thinking about twenty more things you've got to do? <laughs> I feel that way right now. I'm like, and then there's this issue, and this issue, and this issue. Um, and you you've got to feel always. that way sometimes because I feel that way always. I'm like, oh. And um, 
you know, and I'm just one person with, with the food allergy story. When you own something like this, you must encounter multiple people who are trying to, to, you know, get to the bottom of why they have food allergies. It, it must, do you see a common thread? Anything like that? I do. I mean, it's fascinating. People are really interested in helping. So one thing that we haven't touched on is the Food Allergy Fund is an entirely volunteer-driven organization. And we have volunteers across the country lending their various professional skill sets to building this organization. And, and it's and part of my mission has been 100% of individual donations go to research. If a family is donating money, then that money should go to research um, and not to overhead. You know, we can subsidize overhead through corporate support, ticket sales for our summits and other mechanisms, but that is really core to our, our mission. And, you know, in terms of the volunteering, I get emails daily, you know, Facebook messages, LinkedIn messages saying, I'm so inspired. How can I help? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, I'm one of those. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. me, I need and, you. And <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, it, it's so gratifying. But yeah, I, I mean, every conversation leads to 20 other ideas. And it's really a matter of just, you know, having the funding and the people um, to tackle all of this. And, you know, we, we are forced to prioritize, of course. Um, but there is so much work to be done. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, just as a human being, I've with these allergies in the past, I've been kicked off airplanes. I've had people look at me perplexed at what a food allergy even was at a restaurant. You know, I, I've been, I've had people intentionally um, like bully me by putting nuts in various places so that I get sick. I mean, I had so much crap happen to me through having these food allergies. And so I'm sure I speak for a lot of people that it's sort of exciting um, to see a website like this, see people like you've got assembled and see action. I mean, just yeah, true no, I'm action. Very, I'm <laughs> very action oriented for sure. Um, you know, the organization is still so new. We launched two years ago and the first year was really about establishing the organization, the brand, proof of concept, and getting people excited. And in the past year, our second year, um, I think we're we're off to the races, both in terms of funding research, raising awareness, and bringing people together inside and outside the community to make a difference. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that you um, have compassion to you as well. I, I appreciate you allowing me to to chime in a little bit about my story, um, in hopes that it it helps somebody um, not feel alone or or recognize that they have food allergies or whatever it is. I've heard so many stories um, from just opening, you know, just from opening the dialogue a little bit more every time, um, and not hiding the fact that you're suffering from something. Um, do you want to – Kyle Dine is on your website. He's such a great guy. I see all your, your videos here. So I'd love to encourage people to go to foodallergyfund.org and click on the Summits tab. If you click on that tab, you will see all sorts of cool videos and things like that that, that um, Alana has done in the past um, with so much more to – to follow, I think it's going to be fun to see all the things that you do, and um, what a wonderful um, spin you have on who you connect us with. It's different than a lot of the different groups. It's pr it's pretty neat to see 
um, who you know to lend their expertise to this? That must, is that through the PR and marketing side of you? Yes, it is. Um, you know, <laughs> it's fun. It, it's, it's really important, right? Like we we need to bring all the stakeholders together. We need media to be a part of it and to shine a spotlight and, frankly, to educate the media so that they can help with some of the me- mixed messaging and that and perceptions that people have of food allergy. So that's been a very important component for us is having, you know, deep media integration into our summits as well. Uh, the entrepreneurs that we showcase from around the world uh, at each of our summits, it's been fascinating to see, let's say in the past two years, I mean, just kind of coinciding with the existence of FAST, there's been a surge in entrepreneurial activity. And the vast majority of founders that I encounter are driven by personal passion, right, which is often true for entrepreneurs. Um, uh-huh. But it's really interesting to see, you know, most every founder is either the parent of a food allergic child or a patient, uh, him or herself, you know, who's lived with this for some period of time, whether it's two years or 30 years, um, who've changed careers to pursue different, you know, better options for people living with food allergies. So it's been really interesting kind of on the human level to see the entrepreneur community that is building. And my goal is to really bring that community together, showcase it, and, you know, help drive investment for them as well. Because it's not just yeah. research in the academic ivory tower. Like, we're really focused on driving innovation and research wherever it is. If it's in the corporate environment, if it's in the ivory tower, we want to find the best. Yeah. Yeah, my my mission has been to help people feel um, like they're not limited by this. Um, just having navigated this, <clears throat> excuse me, for so long that it it's just been my mission to just help people realize that they can do anything they want to do um, with food allergy in tow. <laughs> you can do anything you want to do and you're going to have a food allergy and, and that's okay. And to connect to that group of people. I mean, I just, I just, you know, people are, um, uh, you know, they, there's a lot of fear, I guess, is probably the best word I can describe. There's, there's fear and anxiety and stress that surround having a food allergy, whether you're the parent of somebody with a food allergy or you have the food allergy yourself. There's a lot of fear, anxiety, and stress that go with having a food allergy. And usually in it can be every day, but sometimes every day is routine, but it can be when you encounter new situations. For example, when your little one goes to kindergarten and, and you, for example, you as a parent are then separated from your child. Is my child going to be okay? There's just so many different circumstances um, that, that make this up that it's exciting for me to hear that maybe we don't have to go through that anymore as you uncover more research to why we have this in the first place. Wouldn't that be nice? A world with with kids figure out. That'd be fantastic. (laughs) So goals, right? Big, big, huge goals. Um, We only have a few minutes left. What's what's what would you like? What action? And we can run a little bit over. We'll go into tape mode. But um, what action would you like most for people to take um, when they hear about you and know about you as we increase awareness? What would you like people to do? Get involved. Uh, you know, it's 
it takes a village, and our village is an incredible network of people who are engaging in solutions uh, across the country in a variety of ways. So you know, I'd encourage people to email us at info at foodallergyfund.org, visit our website, follow us on social media, and really get involved. And um, you know, the more people that we have aware of our mission involved, the more we'll grow. The more yeah, the more we'll grow. Impact. Yep, absolutely. It has been um, just wonderful having you here. And um, I, I thank you so much for introducing um, our audience to Food Allergy Fund.org. It's, it's, it's lovely to have you as a guest. And I look forward to following everything that you do and supporting everything that you do. And one last thing, because we're really super huge on hashtags and the Best Ever You Network. What is your hashtag that we can follow? Food Allergy Fund. Perfect. All right. Alana, Galan, thank, thank you so, you so much for much. having me. This was a pleasure, and, and thank you for all that you do to help raise awareness. I think the thank you belongs with you, but thank you also. Um, I try and do my part, and I'm always really thankful to Gina um, for that one day telling me, you know, you got to open your mouth a little bit and talk about what's going on, because to that point I was hiding it, and that was a good 16 years ago now. But um, I had I was hiding my medic alert and um, in my pocket and not letting anybody know I had food allergies and and we did um, one of the gang a book where we helped let kids know that you could be alive and thrive with food allergies and be anything you wanted to, to be and the possibilities are infinite and I'm so grateful to Gina for that moment because um, it changed my life and I hope it's changed others so. Alana Gallant, thank you so much for being here. Um, everybody, please visit foodallergyfund.org and uh, get involved. And uh, the hashtag, again, is foodallergyfund. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You show. Um, Alana, stay safe and well. Everybody, stay safe and well. And thank you again for being with us. Take care and have a Best Ever You day. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.